The thing about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive is that by now you've heard a lot of ads about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. We probably don't even need the words, the Name Your Price tool, to tell you that our humpback whale pup gives you options based on your budget. Or that our novelty hand buzzer helps you save on car insurance. And that's the thing about the tiny felt bag filled with marbles. At this point, you've heard a lot of ads about the elusive northern bobcat. The Name Your Price tool. <clears throat> the neighbor who baked you banana bread. Only from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Smartcast. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors Podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Hi, so today we have on the show um, Shailashri Shankar, who's written this very interesting book called Turmeric Nation, A Passage Through India's Tastes. Hi, Shailashri. Hello. So, you know, your book's like really interesting because it's got, um, well, it's about food, but in a very uh, in a sort of intellectual way, which is <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> you know, it's not just food, food, food. The experience of an Indian with food really depends on his or her social background, caste, class, everything, especially caste. And you've tackled that as well. And now food has become such a, it's it's such an issue in contemporary India. And uh, so I'm glad you've written this book and you've tackled all these um, aspects of what food means for us as a nation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, so let's start with... You know, you this very interesting thing you've written about our genetic inheritance. You are what your ancestors ate. Let's start with that. Okay. I, I've actually written this book. Uh, I'm an academic by uh, training. I'm a political scientist and a researcher. Uh, but what I've done is I've actually written this book as not as an academic, but as somebody who's interested in questions and who then wants to go off and look at other researchers uh, on what they have found as answers to these questions. So that's mm. the way I've sort of plotted the entire book. So if some of the things seem a bit um, uh, intellectual or a bit scientific, it's because it's just going in there and then trying to get a layman's perspective on mm. what it means for us. And the basic mm. point, on, in, uh, the basic thing that I tried to do in this book is um, it's about, you know, how and why what we eat influences mm. and shapes who we are. Um, so that's essentially the the tagline for the book. Um, mm. And so the we is the question because we can be individuals and we can be Indians. But thinking about Indian food is really difficult uh, because, mm. you know, like for anything with India, it becomes highly pluralistic and highly chaotic. So that's yes. what I actually found. I found chaotic pluralism. So when we come to this question of our ancestors, your ancestors influence our um, eating habits. What's mm. interesting is that the chaotic pluralism sort of comes down very much in that. And what happens is that we actually can trace uh, all the Indian genetic um, DNA can be traced back to uh, the Bronze Age, um, which mm. is about, um, uh, I think, 1500 BCE or so. There are three sets of DNAs, that, uh, three, three sets of influences we have in our DNA. And yeah. those three, um, one is the Iranian hunter-gatherers, the second one is the, uh, the sort of um, South 
the Indian uh, ancestral uh, gene. And then the third one is the step pastoralists. So hmm. three then combine and they are in the in South, South Asian, I should say, DNA. And that hmm. has not changed with all the invasions that has occur- have occurred afterwards. Um, so in that sense, that is not pluralistic at all. So if we ask this question, do our ancestors determine the way we eat? The question I'm asking here is, if our, is our body's capacity to absorb nutrients determined mm. less by being vegetarian and non-vegetarian and more by what our forefathers ate? Uh, and since in India, we are products of very, uh, you know, arranged marriages, insular caste and religious groupings. Um, do we have a much more genetically insular body composition that goes all the way back to this early stage, right? And can mm. we process a particular kind of food? Um, so the bottom line here is that um, uh, uh, the our ancestry actually has been traced back to the Harappans, uh, yes. right? Now, the Harappans, mm. uh, what did they actually eat? So you have archaeologists who have actually found barley, wheat, rice, mustard and gram, uh, millets, mangoes and vegetable, fish, mutton and goat. They also found mm. ginger, garlic, eggplant and turmeric. In a hundred mm. in from that period. Now all okay. these continue to be used in Indian households. And yeah. what uh, what geneticist? When I went and read a few papers on this, a geneticist um, Vagish uh, Narsimhan, he says that uh, there is continuity between the Harappan and the Vedic civilizations and the genetic makeup of a majority of India is unaffected by invasions and empires after the Bronze Age, which is basically. 3500 BCE to 1100 BCE. So then an ideal South Asian diet should actually contain some of the ingredients found in the Harappan site, which I just mentioned, and also in the Vedic worms. And it does. We still eat dals, we eat mangoes, we eat vegetables. Our cooking styles haven't changed very much. When the archaeologists who found this handi in, uh, in Fermana and um, in, in Haryana, they created the dishes based on what they had found. They found that the local dishes today were very similar. So I uh, used this fungus. So tomato came in much later, as did potato. You mentioned in your books. So. Yeah, exactly. And leaves as well. So yeah. So and I'm not sure Harappans knew about pepper that much. You know. Yeah, I like don't two. think. I mean, it's not there. It's basically ginger, garlic, eggplant, and turmeric, which is why when I was trying to find the name for the book, which would be Pan Indian, I found turmeric at the end because everything <laughs> else, like chili, spices, saffron, all this. Kind Comes much later, so yes. long pepper maybe, but even that wasn't found in the in that handi. So I thought I over turmeric. <laughs> so the answer to this question, uh, you know, uh, do our ancestors determine the way we eat? I found that the answer is actually yes. And I did an experiment on myself when I was looking at this. What I did was I had high cholesterol. So to lower mm. my cholesterol, uh, since I'm a South Indian, I actually mm. ate, a, I ate South Indian food and followed uh, this regimen of a large breakfast, a good lunch, and then tiffin at six o'clock. So this is sort of the, the, what my grandparents and others would have eaten. And what I actually then found was four months later, my cholesterol levels had reduced from very high to borderline borderline high. So okay. I'm attributing it to this change of diet because nothing else had changed. 
I think as individuals, we think about these things and we then mm. often read all these things, all uh, things that are written about it. And what mm. I've actually done is basically read a lot of more of the scientific um, uh, papers rather than just, mm. you know, random papers. And then I've tried to sort of create hypothesis based on that because I'm yes. also a researcher by training. So, uh, so yeah. And so that's why I experimented on myself, but that's just a single person experiment. But I would say, I would totally, I mean, intuitively it makes sense. I think that hmm. you know, if we come from a very insular long line of arrangement, these sort of groupings. Well, yeah. Some, I remember some authors saying that we are a collection of insular communities over the centuries. Exactly. So. And you know, in India, they always say multiple centuries coexist. But multiple yes. coex- centuries coexist within our own bodies too. So you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's not just in, in our environment; it's actually within our bodies. So yeah. that's what I think. Okay, on page forty-seven, I remember you've you've said, you know you've mentioned your post-chikungunya pain, and you know, and how my own response made me wonder whether the experience of an epidemic changes the dietary patterns of a society, and if so, the sorts of changes we gravitate towards. Now, you know, in the current current context of this uh, whole pandemic that's uh, going on and doesn't seem to be ending, do you think that we are going to change the way we eat? I think what has happened is, I mean, okay, there's two things that could could come out of this pandemic. One, that people would be so fed up of cooking and eating that they will Mm. then go out and as soon as you know, they can, they will start trying to experiment with lots of different types of dishes and eat, order in or eat out or do that, right? Mm-hmm. Or they could go the other way. They could see that, you know, with this pandemic, given that the immunity boosting seems to happen through uh, less sort of um, uh, commercial diets uh, or commercial mm-hmm. food, they might become more interested in organic food, looking at the source of the food, looking at mm-hmm. how they cook it. So you mm-hmm. can go either way. And I mean, I can't predict which way people will go because right now I think a lot of people are very fed up of cooking. So <laughs> we're all going the, you know, let's do the takeout way. <laughs> You know, the chapter Dalit food is both appalling and illuminating. I mean, you know, talk about your research into the Dalit food. That was a very interesting. Yeah. So I actually, one of my colleagues at uh, CPR introduced me to um, this gentleman named uh, Chandrabhan Prasad, who had set up this Dalit uh, foods.in. So I thought, so we had a long conversation. We met in Gymkhana Club um, and um, we had this long conversation about Dalit food. Now I was, it was totally new to me what exactly. So he, his first question to me was, have you eaten bread made of dried peas? And I said, no. And it turns out that that's what um, they ate. And they ate peas for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. They ate peas all the time because they couldn't get anything else but they could go out there and forage for uh, for uh, forage for bees uh, for peas and um, so it was just ironic that here you have uh, people who ha- who literally have to go out into the forest and then find whatever they can eat from the forest mm-hmm. and then you have this whole movement where in the west where people are doing this where they go into parks and they they want to go and live off the land and so but the people who are doing it in the West are doing it by choice. And here mm. they have no choice because they yes. fed barnyard millet. 
but the same barnyard millet has now become ancient grain and it's now being marketed in organic shops at very high prices. And that's the same millet that's probably been given to these um, to the Dalits in Eastern UP when Chandrabhan Prasad was growing up. And this was in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Though mm. things have changed, he said, because he went back. And um, uh, But I just thought some of the things that we have taken for granted, like, you know, dal with in it. Uh, and there, you know, a marriage broker shows up. And the first question, the bride's, uh, the the girl's uh, family asks is, uh, do they use uh, haldi the whole year uh, to mm. see whether that will have a little bit of prosperity? So, and mm. I, I just thought, I mean, I was shocked by, uh, just like you said, you know, I was just totally shocked by how uh, we uh, all live in such cocoons that we have no yes. idea what it is like to experience hunger or, or I had no, uh, unless one fasts, but that's also by choice. Yes. So it was just very, um, very eye-opening. And also what was another thing which I thought was very, um, was very ironic was how the fads also in some way take these themes of poverty and make them into foods. Um, and there's nothing wrong, I think, with going and living off the land. But I think what is wrong is it should not be a compulsion it should actually be our choice that is right and that's what is our problem whereas in scandinavia it's by choice so (laughs) yeah so that's me in conversation with shailashni shankar author of turmeric nation a passage through india's tastes come back after the break for more this was a hindustan times production brought to you by hd smartcast I'm Annie Apple and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.